Welcome to the LifeGate Podcast, a podcast recorded at LifeGate Church in Burleson, Texas. We hope you enjoy the talk, and be sure to stick around for more at the end. excited about Christmas this morning. Come on, raise your hand today. Let's just do a little survey here this morning. How many of you say that uh, Christmas music before Thanksgiving is okay? You like Christmas music before Thanksgiving? How many of you would say, no, 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 you got to wait till after Thanksgiving? Come on. How many of you maybe would say, no, no, just Christmas music all year round? That's good. I like Christmas music all year round. How many of you maybe a little bit like me this morning would raise your hand and say, Christmas music on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and that's if you're lucky. How many know what I'm talking about? Right, yeah, I know, I know, I know I'm a little bit of a Scrooge. And do we have any Scrooges here this morning? Have you a little bit of Scrooge? How many of you are like big time, like you're like elf? You know what I'm saying? You love Christmas or whatever. Well, wherever, well, whether you are a Scrooge or whether you're like elf, man, I don't know how you can help but be excited about what God wants to do in this series that we're starting this morning called Comfort and Joy. Everybody say Comfort and Joy. How many know where that comes from? comes from that little song, right? Good tidings of comfort and joy. Sing it with me. Comfort and joy, oh, tidings of comfort and joy, right? Great, great Christmas song, yeah. Great, great Christmas song, great, great words, but I have a little bit of a problem with it. I don't know. I mean, it's a great traditional Christmas song, but I guess it's just that one little line, comfort and joy, because that's not what I've necessarily experienced in my life. You know, I think sometimes that we kind of equate these two together, like comfort and joy have to go together. Like in order for me to have joy, then I have to have comfort. How many know what I'm talking about? Like if my life is comfortable, if everything is going good, if I'm not having any struggles or any problems, I'm not having a bad day, if nobody's mad at me, if I don't get any traffic on the way to work, if everything's going good and my life is really comfortable, then I can be joyful. But if my life is not comfortable, if I'm having struggles or problems, then sometimes I don't have very much joy. How many know what I'm talking about? Right? And sometimes that's the way we live our life, almost to try to have this, this kind of life of comfort, to kind of try to protect our comfort, because we think in order to have joy, i got to have comfort. And so we spend our whole life trying to be comfortable. In fact, we might even kind of bring God into the equation just a little bit and kind of ask Him to help us to have a comfortable day. Anybody ever ask God, God, please let this day go good, right? And sometimes we even pray those prayers. I came across a couple of a couple of prayers that we pray sometimes sometimes you're on your way to work and you pray the commuters prayer you might recognize it goes like this as I do battle on these twisting and dangerous byways hear my plea O Lord be banished all ye who would move into my lane without signaling speed thee into darkness all thee who would drive with your brights on abandon all hope all those who text on phones and pay no attention to the road get thee behind me thou 86 Nova going 45 in the fast lane. Amen. How many ever prayed a prayer like that? Man, you finally get to work and you get to the office and you got to make some copies. And so you pray the duplication supplication. 
great master of replication. When I feed this document into the copier, keep it free from paper jams and misfeeds. Let me not see the ad toner message or call key operator prompt. May my copies not be correlated in reverse, not accidentally reduced to 77%, nor stapled in the wrong corner. And since I only have a few copies to make, let me not find that chain-smoking Jezebel from accounting making 65 copies of her 40-page double-sided report. Amen. You finally get your copies made, you make it to the morning meeting, and so you pray the meeting meditation. Meetings, meetings every day, another morning gone. We've closed this subject once before, but still the boss goes on. Oh, help these people be concise and on the subject keep. My eyes are glazing over, my leg has gone to sleep. I've tried to lead a good life, Lord. This torture is undeserved. Please restrict my meetings to the ones where lunch is served. Amen. Finally, the morning meeting is over and we make it to our computer and we sat down and we pray the PC plea. Resolve my computer woes. I booted up. My cursor froze. I pressed escape. I hit delete. I read IBM's instruction, instruction sheet. But to no avail, it's just no use. Without your help, Lord, I'm going to need a noose. Please help me, Lord, and grant my plea to fix my Windows Office XP. Please give me strength and courage when my hard drive crashes once again. Or maybe I should just get a Mac. Amen. Haven't we prayed prayers like that before? Because we think this thought that i got to be comfortable, my life's got to go right, no problems, no struggles, in order for me to have joy. But when I read the Bible, I see something very different than comfort and joy. In fact, what I see is I see a whole lot of people in the Bible, a whole lot of circumstances and situations in the Bible where people are going through some very uncomfortable situations, and yet there's this joy inside of their heart. And that's what I want to talk about in this series over this next couple of weeks as we head into the holiday season, as we lead into Christmas time. I want, to, I want to talk about comfort and joy. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about a guy who had a very, very uncomfortable circumstance, and yet he wrote a book that was all about joy. We're going to be looking at a guy named Paul. And Paul wrote a book, the book of Philippians. Everybody say Philippians. Now, let me give you a little background on this book that Paul wrote. You see, Paul was a church planter. He was kind of, a, they call him an apostle, but what that really meant was that he went around planting churches. He was kind of an entrepreneur type of a guy. And so Paul had planted this church in the city of, of Philippi. And so he's writing a letter to encourage the people of Philippi. And he's writing them, uh, it's called a prison epistle. And that is because he's writing this letter from a prison. Listen. And it's not just any old prison, but it's a Roman prison where he is chained every single day to a Roman guard awaiting his own execution. You talk about an uncomfortable situation. How many of you know what I'm talking about this morning, right? And as he's there in that prison writing this letter, you've you got to understand a little bit about Paul and about his background. Paul's greatest dream after he came to Christ, the greatest dream of his life was that one day he would be able to go to Rome and that he would preach. Now, I can imagine how Paul must have thought it would be in Rome when he would preach the gospel there. I'm sure in his mind he thought he would be standing in the Colosseum with thousands of people preaching the message of 
of Christ and many thousands of people would come to know the Lord. And that was the dream of Paul's heart. And Paul did make it to Rome, but not in the way that he thought that he would. In fact, instead of preaching in a coliseum with thousands of people, Paul finds himself in the middle of a deep, dark prison, chained to a prison guard, awaiting his own execution. Can you imagine how Paul must have felt? Can you imagine the disappointment that he must have had in his life? I mean, he thought life was going to go one way, and it didn't go the way that he expected or the way that he thought that it would go. And maybe some of you are here today, and maybe you look at your life and you go, what am I doing wrong? I mean, I thought life would end up one way, but it hasn't ended up the way that I thought it would end up. I thought by this age I would be married, and I'm not married yet. Or I thought that we would have children, and we keep struggling, and we tried everything, and we haven't been able to have children or I thought that I would have this happy marriage that I'd always dreamed of but now my marriage is struggling or now my marriage is ending in divorce or I thought that I would start this dream business that I have and and you know that I thought that I would be making lots of money and I would be a successful business person but my business is failing or I had to close my business down or maybe I dreamed of being a teacher or being a lawyer or whatever it is and somewhere along the way life kind of handed you a detour and you thought life was going to be one way, but now life turned out a different way, and you think, am I ever really going to even be able to be happy? Here's Paul. His life has been kind of disappointing as to what he expected it to be. He finds himself in a very uncomfortable circumstance, and he writes this letter to the church of Philippi. And what is the subject of the letter? If you read the book of Philippians, you will see that the subject of the entire letter is the subject of joy. That in the middle of an uncomfortable circumstance, Paul writes a letter that's all about joy. In fact, we see it. Let's just take a look at the, at the first few verses that he, that he writes. In verse number 3 of Philippians chapter 1, he says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for you with what? With Joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time that I first heard it until now. Paul's circumstances don't seem very joyful. Paul's circumstances don't seem very comfortable. He's in the middle of a prison, chained to a Roman guard, awaiting his death. And yet he writes a letter and says, I'm praying for you with joy in my heart. That doesn't even seem to make sense. That doesn't go along with the whole comfort and joy line. He says in verse number 6, he says, I am certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returned. Talk about ironic. Here's Paul, who life didn't turn out the way he thought it would turn out, writing to encourage others, saying, I know that God will work all things together for your good, that the God that began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You see, here's what Paul understood Paul understood that there was something in life that is greater than happiness. Paul understood what it was like to have true joy. And I want to talk about that for just a minute this morning. If you're taking notes, I just want to write down a couple of things here today. The difference between happiness and joy. And number one, if you're taking notes, happiness is external, but joy is internal. 
How many know that happiness a lot of times depends on the things that are happening around us, like our outer circumstances? If everything's going good in life, then then I can be happy. But how many know that there's a joy that we can actually have even when we've had a bad day? How many of you have had some bad days, right? I read about this guy. uh, He was in a Florida newspaper. I just want to read his story a little bit. This true story says a man was working on his motorcycle on his patio, and his wife was in the kitchen. And the man was racing the engine on the motorcycle when it accidentally slipped into gear. The man, still holding onto the handlebars, was dragged through the glass patio doors and along with his motorcycle dumped onto the floor into the house. Well, the wife, hearing the crash, ran into the dining room and found her husband lying on the floor. He was cut and bleeding and the motorcycle lying next to him and the shattered patio door. And the wife ran to the phone and summoned the ambulance. Because they lived on a fairly large hill, the wife went down to the several flights of stairs to the street to escort the paramedics to her husband. And after the ambulance arrived and the transported man, the transported the man to the hospital, the wife uh, uprighted the motorcycle and pushed it aside. And seeing that gas was spilled on the floor, the wife got some paper towels, blotted up the gasoline, and threw the towels into the toilet. Well, the man was treated and released to go home, and upon arriving, he looked at his shattered patio door and the damage done to his motorcycle. He became despondent. He went to the bathroom, he sat down on the toilet, and he smoked a cigarette. How many know where this is going? After finishing the cigarette, he flipped the cigarette into the bowl while he was seated on it. The wife who was in the kitchen heard the loud explosion and her husband screamed. She ran into the bathroom and found her husband lying on the floor. His trousers had been blown away and he was suffering burns on his backside and the back of his legs. The wife again ran to the phone to call the ambulance. The very same paramedic crew was dispatched and the wife met uh, them at the street. The paramedics loaded the husband onto the stretcher and began carrying him to the street. While they were going down the stairs to the street, accompanied by the wife, one of the paramedics asked the wife how the husband had burned himself and she told the paramedics what had happened. They started laughing, laughing so hard that one of them slipped and tipped the stretcher, dumping the husband out and he fell down the remaining stairs and broke his arms. How many know... That's a bad day. (laughs) Kind of reminds me of a few of Paul's days. I mean, Paul had very few comfortable days if you look at his life. I mean, one time Paul was on this ship and he was traveling, uh, traveling through the sea and a big giant storm came. You might remember the story and it busted up the ship and Paul was shipwrecked and he finds himself out there floating in the ocean on, you know, on pieces of the ship. And when he finally floats into the, you know, floats into the shore and he gets there, he's cold and he's hungry. And so he finally starts a fire and begins to warm up by the fire and out of the fire a snake jumps and bites him on the arm I mean no that's a bad day I mean Paul talked about a few of his bad days in 2nd Corinthians 11 and verse 23 he says I've worked harder I've been put in prison more often I've been whipped times without number and faced death again and again five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes three times I was beaten with rods once I was stoned three times I was shipwrecked once I spent a whole day and night adrift at sea I have traveled on many long journeys I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers and I have faced danger from 
from my own people, the Jews as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities and in the deserts and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. And I have worked hard and long and endured many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all that, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. How many know that Paul didn't have a comfortable life? And yet, even though his life was uncomfortable, what was his response to all of this? We see it in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose hearts. Though outwardly we are wasted away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Paul says all of this is external stuff. In fact, all that stuff that I just said about Paul, and he calls that light and momentary. He says, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to lose heart. I've got joy because joy is something that's internal. It's something that's inside of me. It's not based on the external. So joy is, joy is internal. Happiness is external. Number two, write this down. Happiness is based on circumstance. But joy is based on Christ. You see, so many times our happiness is based on our happenings. In fact, that's where that word happiness comes from. The root word of that is happenings. So sometimes we're happy if all of our happenings are good, right? Like it's a circumstantial thing. Did you know that word circumstance comes from two words that are kind of placed together, circle and stance? And basically what that means is your circumstance is the circle that you are standing in. And sometimes when the circle that we are standing in is not good, guess what happens? We're not very happy, right? When the circle I'm standing in is bad, I'm not very happy because my happiness is based on my circumstance. But guess what? There, there's a joy that comes that no matter what the circle that I'm standing in is, my joy is not based upon my circumstance. My joy is based upon Christ. My joy is not based on what's happening around me. My joy comes from who is living inside of me. Our joy is based upon our relationship with Christ. My circumstance may not be good, but I can be good because I know that my God is good. Happiness is based on circumstance. Joy is based on Christ. Number three, write this down. Happiness is based on chance. Joy is based on choice. You know the beginning of that word happiness? You know the part hap, that hap part? You know that that comes from a Latin prefix and it's the root word for luck. Basically it means that happiness is kind of, well, if I'm lucky and things go good, then I'll be happy. It's just by chance, just whatever happens. Like hopefully, you know, I keep my fingers crossed. Hopefully everything goes good today and I can be happy. It's a, it's a, it's a luck thing. But here's the deal is that, is that joy is when I decide that I'm going to take over my emotions and I'm not going to let my emotions go with the chance or with the luck or with whatever happens to happen on that day. Joy is when I take control over my emotions and even though things might not go good on my day or in my life, I have taken control. I have made a choice. Everybody say a choice. 
I made a choice, a choice that no matter what happens around me, I'm going to have joy inside of me. In fact, that's what we're going to learn in Philippians later on in Philippians chapter 4. Paul talks about this in verse 11. He says, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Check this out. This is a learned behavior. This is not something that Paul just allows to happen. Like if it happens, it happens. If it's good, it's good. No, Paul says, I've had to learn this. This is something that I've had to teach myself. This is, this is a choice that I've had to make. This is a habit that I've had to make in my life. This is a commitment that I've made. I've made a choice that no matter what happens to me, I'm not going to let my happenings determine my happiness. I'm not going to let my circumstances determine my joy. I'm going to make a choice that even if things go bad today, that even if things go bad tomorrow or next week, I'm making a choice to rejoice. I'm making a choice to be joyful no matter what happens around me. It's a choice that we make and that's what I'm praying will happen in this series over this next couple of weeks as we head into the Christmas season that no matter what happens in your life, that you'll make a choice, you'll make a decision today, no matter what happens, I'm going to have the joy of the Lord. In fact, the Bible talks about this in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19. The, The Bible says, God says, today I have given you a choice, a choice between life and death, between blessings and cursings, and now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make, and oh, that you would choose life. Everybody say, choose life. That you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. That's my prayer today. I believe that's what God wants for you today. That you would choose life. That you would choose joy. That no matter what might happen in your life today or tomorrow or next week. That you would make a choice. That my joy is not based upon my circumstance. That I don't have to have comfort in order to have joy. So you say, Pastor, that's, that sounds great. How in the world do we do that? Let's get a little bit practical. And I, what I want to do for the remainder of this message is I just want to look at this, this first chapter of Philippians. And I just want to help you to see a couple things that, that Paul teaches us, I believe, about how to choose joy. The first one is this. If you're taking notes, number one, you've got to start by asking the right questions. How many know the truth is bad stuff's going to happen? Right? I mean, I would love to, you know, be able to tell you it's not, but it is. I mean, I got problems, you got problems, all God's people's got problems. How many know what I'm saying? Bad stuff happens. It's going to happen in your life. And here's what we typically do when bad stuff happens. We typically ask this question. What do we ask? Why? Right? Like, why did that happen? Why did my, you know, why did my friend get mad? Why did my husband leave? Why did my loved one get cancer? Why did I lose my job? Why did we, whatever, why did the car break down? God, why? Right? But that's the wrong question. In fact, Paul doesn't ask why. Look what he says in verse 12. It says, what? Everybody say, what? What has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. Check this out. Paul doesn't say, why did this happen to me? Why am I in this prison chained to this guard? Instead, he begins to ask the question, what does God want to do with what has happened to me? What does God, what is God's purpose and how can God use what has happened to me? You see, instead of asking why, we've got to learn to ask what 
and how. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, I know that I don't understand why I'm in here. But here's what I know is that what has happened to me has been for a purpose. It has served to advance the gospel. And here's the truth is that bad stuff's going to happen to you. And if you spend all your time going, why this? Why that? Why something else? You're going to be frustrated and it's going to zap all the joy out of your life. But if you decide to go, you know what, I don't know why this happened. But I know God must have a reason and God must have a purpose and God wants to use it. And you begin to ask, what does God want to do through what has happened to me? What does God want to do? How does he want to use this circumstance and this situation in my life? That's when he can begin to take bad stuff and turn it and use it for the good. I heard this story about about this African king, and he had a friend that would always kind of accompany him everywhere that he went, and this friend was kind of one of those glass half full type of people, and so everywhere they went, no matter whatever, no matter what happened, the friend would always say, it is good, it is good, it is good. One day, the king and his friend were out hunting, and the friend loaded the king's gun, and the king went to shoot the gun, and the gun blew up and blew the king's finger off, and the friend said, it's good, and the king said, it's not good, (laughs) and the king threw the friend into prison. So the friend was in prison for a year, and about the same time the next year, the king went out hunting, and while he was out hunting, he came upon a group of of the tribesmen who were cannibals and they captured him and took him and were getting prepared to cook him and eat him. And as they got ready to, to cook him, they noticed that his thumb was blown off and because they were very uh, superstitious, they didn't want to cook and eat anything that wasn't whole and so they let him go. And so the king was like, okay, he started feeling pretty guilty about his friend that he had placed in jail. And so he went back and got his friend out of jail, told him the story that happened. And the friend said, it's good. And the, and the king said, how is it good? And the friend says, if I wasn't in here, I would have been out there with you. How I many know sometimes stuff happens in your life and if you start asking, why did that happen? Then you're never going to see what God wants to do through what happened in your life. So you got to ask the right questions. Everybody say, ask the right questions. Number two, you got to start seeing bad circumstances as good opportunities. When I start asking the right questions, when I start saying what and how instead of why... Here's what happens. God begins to open my eyes and I begin to see even bad circumstances as good opportunities. That's what Paul did. Look at this in in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 13. He says, Everything has happened to me here to help to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. I love this. Paul has figured it out. He says, hey, I might not be doing what I thought I was going to be doing or what I dreamed of doing. I might not be preaching to thousands in a coliseum somewhere. It might be a bad circumstance, but I'm going to find the good opportunity in it. And so what does he do? 
Even though he's not preaching to thousands in a Roman Colosseum, what does he do? He begins to preach to the one that is chained next to him in the Roman prison. And he says, even though I'm not out there preaching to thousands, this one right here next to me, he has come to know the Lord. And then they bring another guard and I preach to him too, right? And because of that, all these people in this prison, they know why I'm here in this prison. And not only that, but all the other believers that are in the prison also have been encouraged and have been blessed. And not only that, while I have this time chained to this guard in this prison, I'm using this bad circumstance for a good opportunity. And I'm writing a book, a book called Philippians. I'm writing a letter to the church of Philippi to encourage them so that they won't get discouraged in their walk with God. And what Paul could have never known at that time is that that book that he wrote there in that prison, in that bad circumstance that he wrote to the church of Philippi would not just be read by the people of Philippi, but it was a book that would be read hundreds of years later and that Paul would not just impact thousands by preaching in a coliseum, but because he had a bad circumstance and got thrown into a prison, he would read a book that we're reading hundreds, thousands of years later and millions of people have come to know Christ because of a bad circumstance that Paul found the good out of in the opportunity. See, today we're reading this book here today because Paul didn't get to go where he wanted to go and do what he wanted to do because Paul had a bad circumstance, but in that bad circumstance, Paul found a good opportunity. And maybe you're here today, and maybe you're discouraged, maybe you're down, maybe you got some bad circumstances happening in your life, but if you begin to ask the right questions instead of asking God why, you start to ask God what and how, God will begin to show you that even in your bad circumstances, there is good opportunity for you, that God can take what the enemy means for evil, and he can turn it, he can use it for good, that just as Paul wrote in Romans 8, that everything works together for what? For good, for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. Got to start by just asking the right questions. We got to start turning the bad opportunity bad bad circumstances into into good opportunities. I like what Mark Batterson said. He says suffering is often seen as a liability, but God can turn it into appreciating assets. Isn't that true? God can take our struggles and he can turn it around. He can use it for good if we if we begin to see good in the circumstance and when we do there's a joy that begins to fill our heart number three check this out what do we do how do we how do we choose joy in the middle of uncomfortable circumstances got to start focusing on what really matters you remember the last thing that ruined your day i mean maybe your car broke down had a flat tire ran out of gas whatever remember that remember the last thing that happened that just just robbed you just stole your Joy. Now, how much of those things that just robbed your joy really would really are going to matter ten years from now? Think about that. Like, you know, oh man, I'm so mad because, you know, whatever. Kids spilled Kool Aid on the coffee or, or on the carpet. I'm just so mad about that or whatever. Just ruined your day and robbed all your joy, and you're just so frustrated and upset. But how much is that really going to matter ten years from now? Most of what robs our joy and ruins our day won't even matter 10 days from now, let alone 10 years from now. And so how do we keep joy in the midst of those circumstances? 
We decide we're going to focus on what really matters. In the grand scheme of things, so many of the things that just mess us up, mess up our day, rob our joy, they don't really matter all that much anyway. And we get so good at majoring in the minors, right? we got to stay focused on what really matters. In fact, we, we find this here in Philippians chapter 1. One of the reasons that Paul writes the book of Philippians to the church of Philippi is that there's some, there's some people there, there's some stirring that's kind of going on there because there's some other people who have come along and started planting churches and there's a few people who are starting to say, well, their church is better than Paul's church. And so they had, they had sent a message to Paul in prison. Hey, Paul, you better get out of prison quick and come over here to Philippi and straighten this out because there's people talking and saying the other church is better than our church and all this kind of stuff. And Paul has a response to that in Philippians 1 and verse 15. He says, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. And the latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But look what he says in verse number 18. so important. He says, but what does it matter? Everybody say, what does it matter? What does it matter? The important thing is that every way, in every way, whether from false motives or true motives, that Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. These people are upset. Their church is better than their church. And this person is not preaching it the right way. And their motives are wrong. And they're not doing it like Paul. And they're all up in this uproar about stuff that's really not all that important. And Paul goes, so What? Why does that matter? I think some of us need to learn in life to just kind of run everything through the so what tests. Like, so what? So what? The car broke down. I know that's a big deal, but so what? It's just a car. So what? My, somebody at work, my employer, you know, got mad at me. I'm sorry, big deal. So what? Right? I mean, so many of the things that we think are so, such a big deal... And are so important, they're not really all that important in the grand scheme of things. At least they're not important enough for us to lose our joy over. And so we just say, hey, what does it matter? So what? I'm going to stay, in, stay focused on what really matters. That's what Paul says in verse number 18. He says, the important thing is... What does he say? He says, hey, there's all kinds of stuff that I could get all in an uproar about, but I'm not going to get in an uproar about it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to stay focused on the important things. And if we would do this in life, all the little stuff that drives us crazy wouldn't drive us crazy near as much if we would just say, so what? That's not a big deal. I'm going to stay focused on the important things. I'm going to keep the main thing the main thing. I mean, you'd be, you'd be surprised at what happens in your heart, the joy that you have in your heart when you just decide, I'm only going to make a big deal about the things that are big deals. Everything else, I'm going to say, what does it matter? So what? Now, I know what you're saying. All right, Pastor, this all sounds good, but there's always a but. But what about, like, when I have this attitude? What about, like, when I keep good attitude and I do all these things you're talking about and all that kind of stuff? And stuff still doesn't turn out the way I wanted it to turn out. What about when I keep a good attitude and my, my loved one still dies of cancer? What about when I, when I keep a good attitude? What about when I try to have joy and my husband still files for divorce? What about when I try to 
try to do all this stuff you're talking about, and I still lose my job. The truth is, sometimes that happens. Sometimes things happen, and they don't seem to turn out the way you thought they were going to turn out, and you look at it, and you go, it doesn't seem like God's working all this together for my good. And Paul talks about this in verse number 21, one of the most famous verses that Paul ever writes. Look what he says. He says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Look what Paul's saying. Paul says, hey, no matter what, sometimes things work out. If I live, whoo, that's awesome. That's Christ. I get to preach the gospel more. Thank the Lord. If I make it out of this prison, I get to go back and see my friends in Philippi. I might even get to preach in a Roman Colosseum. For me to live, that is Christ. That is good. That's awesome. But for me to die, that's also for my gain. You see, here's the deal, is that when you have a relationship with Christ, you have a win-win situation. If life works out, praise the Lord. That's awesome. That's wonderful. But if it doesn't, you can still have joy in your heart that even if this life never works out the way that I thought or wanted it to work out, I know I've got an eternal reward because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So for me to live, that's awesome. That's Christ. That's good. But even if I die, that is gain because I haven't placed my joy in this world. My joy doesn't come from the things of this world. My joy doesn't come from circumstances. My joy doesn't come from relationships with other people. My joy doesn't come from my job or my marriage or my, or my things that I have. My joy is not in this world. I haven't placed my stock in this world. My stock is placed in Christ. My stock is placed in the eternal. And if things work out here on this earth, praise God, that's good, that's awesome. But even if they never work out, still I win in the end because I have an eternity with Jesus Christ. See, that's what they were talking about in in the book of Revelations, Revelation 12 and verse 11. It says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And look at this. They loved not their lives so much as to shrink from death. What is that saying? That's saying that they had decided, I'm not placing my stock in this life. I'm not in love with this life. If life goes good, if I get stuff, if things are good, if circumstances and situations are good, praise God, that's awesome. But I'm not in love with this life. I'm not in love with this world. I'm in love with the Savior. And I'm not placing my stock in this world. I'm storing up my treasures in heaven. My focus is not on the temporal. My focus is on the eternal. And even if things in the temporal and even if things here on this earth never turn out the way I thought they were going to turn out, I still win in the end because I have him. Come on, that's good preaching today. Amen. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to the LifeGate podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. As always, if you're new to LifeGate or haven't heard of us before, please be sure to visit our website at LifeGateBurleson.com for our address, service times, and upcoming events. Again, that's LifeGateBurleson.com. Thanks again, take care, and we look forward to visiting with you next week.